Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. episode 75 of the Commercial Property Investor podcast and I'm your host Jerry Alexander. Co-working is a buzzword in real estate and business right now and it comes up a lot in conversations so we're currently in the process of recording a mini-series on the specific sector. We've had our own co-working spaces for a number of years within buildings where we also provide private office space and it's been interesting to watch the evolution of this offering and see how the model is continually adapting and improving over the years. And as I see it, my job on here is to try and help you get a better understanding through each and every episode of how the commercial property market works. And this is definitely a niche area within commercial property, but it's certainly worth understanding because it's becoming more and more mainstream. So in this first episode of the miniseries, I want to set out what co-working really is and to give some of the parameters. I'm going to talk to you about some of the benefits to the customers or members as we like to call them and of course to us as commercial landlords or investors. I'm also going to talk about the model and whether niching is relevant. In the other episodes I cover co-working design, what's worked for us and what hasn't and some interviews lined up with an operator and some tech providers. It'll be a little bit like the mini-series we did on self-storage. Now this whole subject could have its very own podcast show. In fact, there are people out there who do shows dedicated just co-working. Week in, week out, it's co-working podcasts. I want to squeeze in as much value as I can into four episodes to give you a strong understanding of how this model works and how it could impact you and the future provision of flexible workspace. If after that you really want to get stuck into this strategy, then seek out some of those specific sector podcasts such as Jamie Russo's Everything Coworking or simply get in touch with our team. So let's get stuck into this first episode. The first part I wanted to cover was just an introduction to the co-working model. And after all, it is titled An Introduction to Co-working Model. And what is becoming increasingly difficult is actually to define what the co-working model really is. The purist might define as a shared space with some meeting rooms and the ability to run events. The less tangible aspect is it's a community. It's a living, breathing hive of activity. It's kind of a melting pot of creative people and businesses who are working and growing together. In other words, it's so much more than just a space to work. At the same time as the co-working model started to develop, there was also the more traditional, if you can call it traditional, flex-based offerings. People call them business centres, executive centres, call it what you will, serviced offices. Lots of people are used to this model. In fact, I'm sure quite a number of you have worked in spaces that were within business centres or flexible environment. The makeup of the business centre or serviced office tends to be of fixed private offices, a reception area, meeting rooms and tea points. That might be an oversimplification, but traditionally it was quite simple. And I remember 10 years ago, co-working was becoming a recognisable movement and the co-working fraternity 
along with the serviced office market, would look at each other and regard each other with a bit of suspicion. <laughs> serviced office providers and co-working providers worked in totally different silos. A lot of the serviced office guys expressed their belief that co-working was never going to work and this trendy thing was far too flexible and cool and wouldn't last. And they would give all the reasons why. On the other side, the young upstart looked at the serviced office market as being staid, boring, uninspiring and ripe for disruption. And this period of eyeing each other up went on for quite a while. In fact, some of it is still going on. But then there were some business leaders that started to recognise that actually there was a hybrid model. There was a sweet spot right in the middle of all of this. Now, either model can run on its own successfully. Some businesses are really, really good at running business centres and serviced offices. And some businesses are really good at providing a standalone co-working space. Now back to the definition thing. What made it slightly more difficult to define was when operators like WeWork came along and set their stall out as co-working businesses. Whereas in reality, the vast majority of their space was actually private offices. They had lots of other things going on, including lots of breakout space, free beer and great marketing to create lots of stickiness. But ultimately, the vast majority of their income was actually from serviced offices, even though they were branding themselves under the label of co-working, which is added to the, I guess, complexity of what the definition of co-working is. But as defining themselves, we work as a co-working provider, the lines have become more blurred. So for the purposes of this mini-series, I better define what I mean by co-working, even if you don't agree with it, at least it gives us a benchmark. Rightly or wrongly, I believe there's still a place for all three. There's a place for serviced offices, co-working spaces, which is either independent or sitting out in its own with a membership model and very little to do with private space. Or the third one, which is where you've got the co-working model sitting within a bigger property, which you could argue is the hybrid approach. In other words, there's a mix of private offices and co-working space within the same property. Now, you could certainly blur the lines more by introducing breakout spaces, more shared facilities on each floor or in each area. But ultimately, most of the customers have a key for a door and a space they can lock and work in without interruption. And that's the key difference there. So I'm not too bothered really about the definitions, but I do think it's important to understand where people are coming from when they talk about the sector of the commercial property market. When you as an investor are having these conversations, it's important to get under the skin and understand what is really being discussed and what is really needed. We can all have these loose conversations about topics which we know something about, but I believe it's really important to get to the nub so that you as an investor can make informed decisions. So next time you're in a conversation about serviced offices or co-working or flex space or any of the other terminology, make sure you understand the context of what is actually being discussed because some people use different labels for different things. For me and our business, we are increasingly blending that whole mix of offers. And we're able to do that now because we operate our own spaces and we have a bit more scale. So now we're able to take on properties that allow us to make that wider offer. So let's talk about benefits to customers and landlords of co-working spaces. So here's a few things for the customers or the members, just to give a bit of an, an understanding of what it is they're looking for. So the first thing is flexibility. You have a part-time membership and just use the space infrequently, or you can have a full-time membership and use it all the time. You could have a hot desking membership, or you might want a fixed desk membership, i.e. 
that's my desk. I'm going to put my picture of my family on there, my pencil sharpener, my stack of pens. That's my desk and nobody else uses it. And these are different types of offering within those spaces. It's also really cost efficient. So just like the gym membership, collectively, we can all afford some really good kit. Whereas individually, we might not be able to afford all those great exercise machines. The more members, the more investment can be made into the space and making it really, really smart. The third one is there's almost always a host, someone to meet you, make you feel welcome and someone to meet your guests and make them feel welcome. A good host would also introduce you to new business contacts to help you grow your business. And in fact, as co-working spaces become more generic and almost commodity, then the value provided by the host and their team will increasingly become a key differentiator. Because as this becomes more and more mainstream, you start to see the design element of a lot of these spaces becoming quite generic. I guess that's the same with maturity in lots of different industries. But it's the less tangible stuff, which really comes from the human touch, is where you're going to see the key differentiators. Basically, it's around the service level, isn't it? So the fourth one I've got on the list here is a lot of these spaces will have an events or social calendar. So guest speakers will be invited in to add value, to talk about a specific topic, to give some insights into business perhaps or their startup. And not every space does this. And of course, not every member is even remotely interested. Will it be needed in your space? Well, that comes back to what your target market is. And we'll go into that a little bit later on. One of the big benefits of co-working membership is meeting other people. It's the networking bit. Now, it doesn't have to be through an organised social event, of course. It's through clever design and making it so that you make those connections by bumping into people, by having notice boards, by things that create those contacts so you can create new relationships. And some of these relationships will lead into great business opportunities. But we must remember not every member of a co-work is a startup business or indeed a small business. Many of our new members actually work for corporate companies. In other words, they don't pay the bill. The head office pays the bill. So from their point of view, the networking aspect might be just more about being able to talk and interact with other like-minded human beings, particularly with what's been going on with COVID. Many people want to reach out and just meet others. The increase in corporate customers is really down to the whole work near home but not at home trend that's going on right now. And we'll go into that a little bit later on. But networking is one of the key things that some people go in to co-working spaces for. And of course, co-working spaces really do work well for those startup businesses because you can add people and take people away from your footprint really quickly. If your business is scaling up or you're working on specific projects which have a time frame, you can rent a desk or a membership for individuals you need for that project. But when it comes to an end, you can downsize again. Or for that growth period, you can continue growing without having to worry about committing to a lease. That is why some co-working spaces are really dynamic and ever-changing. As businesses grow and shrink and take on projects and finish projects, there's always stuff happening. If the space you're using as a customer is part of a larger group, then it may be a privilege of your membership to be able to use facilities in other locations. So this is another advantage for members. It's not always just one location. And that's something we're trying to roll out to our customers. And an individual with a membership in one of our locations can visit a different property if it has a similar offer in our portfolio, enjoy the same membership benefits without having to pay any more because that's just part of the offer. 
And there are some companies, of course, that do that on a global scale now because they have such a wide international footprint. That's all the things about the members and why they see the benefit of coming into co-working spaces. But what about us as commercial landlords? What are the benefits to us? So interestingly, there are a lot of large property owners who recognise the value that flexible co-working spaces provide to their overall provision in, in a larger property. There are lots of landlords with significant buildings, large, large floor plates, who have partnered with co-working operators, either on a management agreement or some kind of profit share, to operate a co-working space within their building because the landlord recognises it provides more footfall it provides an energy to the building and eventually it will provide customers to those because as businesses grow and want to take space, why not take it in the same building you're located in within the core? And also some of the landlords are actually recognising that the larger corporate businesses that move into these large buildings like to have a core near them because of the talent pool. Sometimes it's for subcontracting, for just those little things they need to tweak on the outside or technical stuff. But other times it's actually because they're trying to um, employ new people and, or new contractors and cohorts can be great places for that. But for us on a lower level, not being a large massive landlord or an institutional investor, when we buy buildings now we make sure there's enough space to provide that type of environment because of the benefits it brings to the rest of our property. It's the, the glue it provides, and quite frankly, it's, it's an interesting, vibrant environment for everybody concerned, whether that be your other tenants and clients or your staff. It just serves to give a bit of a heart to your building, a vitality. They're really, really energising spaces if they're done right. Now, that's not to say and we have a co-working space in all of our buildings. We don't. And in some of our buildings, it's just not going to work. Either there's not enough scale or indeed the appetite in the local market is not for that offering. That's not to say it won't change. And we're still experimenting all the time to see what works best. The challenge, of course, is each and every building is different. So you have to do your due diligence, work out what the market is after and try to get the best model for that building. Remember, building first approach. And sometimes that will mean that you don't necessarily automatically put a co-working facility in, and that's okay. Now, if I was starting in commercial property again, I would definitely consider setting up a co-working facility, either as a tenant of a larger landlord, so a rent-to-rent model basically, or putting my own business into a building where I can invite and work with similar businesses in the same kind of, I guess, swim into the property that I've just bought to generate an income. In fact, actually, a number of our commercial investing customers are doing just that. They're taking on properties they can use themselves and providing a facility for other like-minded businesses to come and share the space and provide an income to the new landlord. But ultimately, to scale that, you need to get out. You can't stay there forever. So if you were to get out, who's going to be left to run the facility? So you have to look at the costs on exit as well as at the start if you're going to start running a co-work, but then eventually move out to another building? Will it stand on its own two feet if you're not subsidising it effectively by being there as another business? So, who are the typical customers and should you consider a niche angle? Well, when I first started working in this sector, my belief was that customers were going to be startups, typically in service-orientated businesses. That's what I thought. 
They'd be light-handed, very little stuff to carry around. They're just going to be sitting there with a laptop doing service-orientated stuff. But that's not necessarily the Silicon Glen type, of course, of startup, but more the lonepreneur or the solopreneur mixed up with maybe one or two of those are starting to grow from one to two to three staff. But actually, the customer base is far more diverse. Some providers have niched down into providing space for specific sectors. We haven't done that, I have to say. And you can see the benefits provided by a co-working space, such as networking and shared goals and synergies and all that lovely stuff, can really be intensified if the location is more niched. So if there's a specific sector that you're targeting. So let's look at some examples. You could go for the wide offer, which is what we do, I have to say, and capture as many customers as possible. Or you could try to niche. So here's some of the examples of ones that I've come across. I'm sure some of you will have heard of maker spaces. This has typically got 3D printers and CNC machines and all the lovely stuff for people that are trying to design and create new models and technology. And you have spaces that are dedicated to that. Another one is tech companies. There's just a higher spec of the space. Typically, there's a really fast internet. There's great air conditioning, maybe some sound booths, and there's some recording studios and things because these tech companies are maybe doing some online meetings a lot of the time. And they're developing different models or different parts of their tech in different parts of the world and they need to constantly be in communication. And also they're uploading and downloading really large files. But these companies like to flock together. So that is sometimes a sector that people will focus their co-work on. Another one which I've seen is the charity sector. If you can imagine um, a number of charities working in the same place, the same space, there's mutual growth targets, there's idea sharing, there's introductions to different parts of government and support, and also the support infrastructure that can come with charities or, or comes to help charities can also help all of them at the same time. So there's a sharing going on. So if somebody comes in that's maybe a consultant to talk to charities or to support them through financial management or anything like that, they can come in and teach and talk to several charities at once. So those spaces work quite well. Another one I've seen is more oriented around crafts or art studios, for instance. Um, Another would be alternative therapy or health and beauty space. there, There does need to be lots of private booths, of course. But these guys tend to flock together. In fact, one of our buildings has got a very strong sense of alternative therapy, health and beauty. It doesn't necessarily have much of a shared co-work space, but certainly all the studios are all close together. And although some people initially think, oh, there's too much competition, actually, it works really well. Another one is food space, foodie space, where people are creating and sharing the kit, but they are also sharing contacts. The same thing about finance, sourcing, all these different things because they're in the same sector. Another one which I've seen work really well is actually an engineering space where people have studio space to discuss and design, but also a workspace to go and create and bash things out. That's been quite interesting. Not a model I would do myself because it's not a sector that I um, or my team have real experience in. But I think if you have that as your background, then why not provide that for others? And what about music studios? Music studios have been around for a long time, of course, but they've not been sold on a membership model. There's a lot of kit, of course, and there's things like recording booths and all these sorts of things, but maybe that could be done. I mean, having said that, it's fine getting all niched up. Will the financial model really work? So, for instance, in the music model, 
who pays for all the kit? Who looks after it? Who ensures it? Who ensures it's clean and ready to go each and every time? Or actually, do you just pair that back a bit and just provide the basics and lots of storage? But a lot of these industries are starting to change because people are coming in and seeing where they can do that membership model. And while we're on that, what is the financial model? Well, in a traditional co-work only model, the income is often looked at in terms of three income streams. The first one, of course, is the memberships. The second one was the meeting rooms or the private space that was offered by the hour or by the day around that um, particular space. And then the third string was events or venue space. Often they were designed to allow you to create events in the evening uh, where people could do product launches or indeed just um, get togethers for their team. But effectively, they're renting out the space. That has to have some clever design elements to make sure that you can run it during the day as a great functioning cohort, but also in the evening as a venue space. That can be a bit more tricky, but it is something that can be done. And these were the three kind of traditional income streams that co-working companies looked at. Memberships, meeting rooms, events and venue space. And depending on their size, you might have an additional offer to add on to that, which is the food and beverage side. Does depend on the size. I've seen somewhere food and beverage just included. It's maybe just simple as coffee, tea, and biscuits, or there may be a full-on cafe, which is also generating an income. And for us, the co-working element is part of a bigger offering. And some of those benefits are slightly less tangible for us. So we don't just run a co-work, it's within our facility. So as an example of what I'm talking about in that sort of less tangible value. We're currently redesigning a space which is private offices to expand a business lounge on one particular site. And it's been an ongoing debate about whether we give up the fixed revenue from those private spaces and develop out the space as a business lounge, which is a potential for more membership sales, or whether we just say, do you know what, let's just leave it. We'll carry on with that fixed income from those private spaces. And what we've calculated was that there is a risk the space will not directly earn as much as it would as private space. It may not increase our overall membership sales to cover what we would have incurred as an income from the private space. However, the added benefit for the rest of our private office clients on that property is a big increase in the amount of business lounge space they have access to as part of their membership. And, of course, other Clients in other locations will also be able to use this business lounge. So this will increase the overall income or rent for the whole building, which has a knock-on effect of actually increasing the overall value because the net income has increased. So there's two aspects to that. I know I spoke about memberships, meeting rooms and events or venue space and food and beverage, but just in terms of memberships and the overall building rental, those two alone make the change worthwhile. If it was just memberships, it's maybe a bit more borderline. But because of the additional space and additional value to our customers over time, not straight away, but over time, we'll be able to increase the overall rent for the whole building because the provision is so much better. So let's just talk a little bit about the potential membership models. I've come across loads of different ways to divide up the offer, as many as the number of co-works I've looked at, because everyone does it a little bit differently. The charging model is always changing and evolving, and here's just some of the examples. You could, as a customer, just take on a specific number of hours 
or specific days a week or a month. You could take on a full-time membership, so it's access 9 to 5, or it might be 24-hour access, depending on the offer. It could be just a day pass, some places even charged by the minute. You could have a hot desk or a fixed desk, as I said earlier on. You could rent a cluster. So some co-works, one of our co-works, we've designed it so that there are clusters within the co-works. So you can have your own desk or your own touchdown space, or you can have a slightly partitioned, not floor to ceiling, but a slightly partitioned space that has enough for three or four members of a team. So they're still within the big co-work space, but they have got a little bit of privacy or a little bit of design that allows us to communicate to everybody else this is their space. So that's a cluster. Corporate membership is another one. So this is where, with a lot, it tends to be when you've got uh, multi-sites, of course, but it's where a larger corporate customer will pay a bulk payment, specifically negotiated, for their workers locally or even globally to use facilities on a membership basis. Now, how many use it, of course? Well, that's up for debate. But if you can sell to corporate membership, well, fantastic. Another offer, or should I say another part of the offer, is whether it's fully inclusive. Has it got internet, coffee, snacks, meeting rooms, the works involved? Or are they separated out into a pick and mix model? So have you got a base cost and then perhaps a little bit extra for some meeting room use or a higher broadband speed, a locker, uh, maybe upgrading from drip coffee to barista coffee included, or access to multi-sites or use of specific equipment? or events, or even you becoming an event host to allow you to expand your network and your potential to sell some of your services. So all of these things could be wrapped up in the offer or the model, or they could be separated out in a pick and mix. And there are one or two other models, of course, that use the co-working principles at the heart of how they provide space, but the financial model can be completely different. So examples of those would be incubators, business accelerators, and sometimes innovation centres. And in those scenarios, they may still provide all these things we've discussed, but in terms of payment, they might take some equity. They might actually invest some money into the company, but expecting equity, of course, a return. And some are run by government departments, and some are just philanthropic. So these are different models. Of course, they all need to make a return. It just might not always be a financial one, or at least not initially. And at the end of the day, as commercial investors, we're in the business of space and getting return for that space. So strictly from that point of view, it doesn't really matter how you dress it up or what name you give to the offering. There needs to be a viable financial model behind it. I'm going to go into that a little bit more in some of these other episodes. In summary, this actually comes back down to space as a service or selling membership of a physical space. Co-working isn't necessarily about renting out office space. This model is quite different, of course. It's about members. It's about the individual. But to run a co-working space with that touchy-feely human interaction, that multi-touch point loveliness, you're going to need people to deliver that experience. And as a passive-orientated commercial landlord, if that is your way, then the only way around that is to have an operator come in and run it for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. We've chosen to be an investor and an operator, but you don't have to. So whatever you decide in terms of the operation of that element of your property, if you're doing multi-let, it's important to understand how workspace demands are evolving and what the impact of COVID will be on this type of operation in the future. 
The rest of the series is going to go into more depth about some of the things you have to consider when either operating or simply providing a co-working space. So, I love this sector of the commercial property offer. It really brings a lot of energy. If you have any questions or points you'd like to make, then just reach out to us either directly through the contacts in the show notes or, of course, the Facebook group, which again will be in the show notes. So lastly, I just want to catch up on a couple of thank yous. We've had some really good reviews recently, so I just wanted to reach out and thank Gavin Bell and Usman Sikander for taking the time to leave a review on iTunes. Every review helps lift the profile of the podcast. So if you've been enjoying the show and haven't managed to leave a review yet, please let me twist your arm into some action right now. Just go to the show notes on your application and leave a review. I'll be very grateful. So until the next time, make sure you take at least one step forward and have an awesome time in commercial property. 